This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Well, let me get into my message this evening. This has been stirring in my heart quite a bit over the last month and a half. Ever since I read a story flying back from America, I came from Cuba recently, and I read a story about a police officer, which I'll share with you in a moment. But this really has been stirring in my heart, and I thought it quite a fitting message as we're going in towards December. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Because, you know, sometimes even the strongest Christians, when December comes along and vacation period comes, they kind of let their hair down. And uh, maybe enter into December and, uh, and compromise just becomes that, that much easier. And you know, with the onslaught from the enemy to try and desensitize Christians' consciences through different ways and means, I thought that I would, I would speak to you tonight on the subject of, can you be a strong Christian with a weak conscience? Can you be a strong Christian with a weak conscience? conscience. It should concern us that even as strong Christians, that our conscience can be affected by what is taking place around us and the company we keep. Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in the place where you are tolerating more than you found yourself tolerating a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where, where you were letting slide certain things that you would never have let slide when you were on your peak with the Lord. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Or is it just me? Anybody else over here? And you wonder, you, you ask yourself this question, how did I find myself here? A couple of years ago, this would have never been acceptable to me, and now all of a sudden, I'm entertaining the idea. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Please help me, because I don't want to be the only guilty one. Yeah, I'm the only one, Pastor Johnny says. <laughs> Frederick Lewis Donaldson, which is an, who is an Anglican priest, he observed these seven social sins, and he says this, the seven social sins are wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, knowledge without character, commerce without morality, science without humanity, worship without sacrifice, and politics without principle. But that one struck me, pleasure without conscience. George Washington, the first president of the United States of America and the founding father, made this observation, and he encourages us. He says, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. Mahatma Gandhi said the following, very interesting. He said, the only tyrant I accept in this world is the still small voice within me. And even though I have to face the prospect of being a minority of one, I humbly believe that I have the courage to be in such a hopeless minority. He says the only tyrant I accept is my conscience. The only thing that I want to have supremacy over me is that still small voice that leads me towards moral perfection. Interesting what these three gentlemen said. Now, getting back to that police officer that I was telling you about, his name was Ray Byers. And he served in the Utah Police Department. He woke up the one morning, opened his wallet, he took out his license and noticed that his license was expired. So this really bugged him. He took out his ticket book and he wrote out a ticket to himself. 
he went to the judge <laughs> and the judge took the fine and asked him, listen, why would you make a ticket out to yourself? He said, how could I, after violating this law with all good conscience, find people in the future for expired licenses if I was not prepared to cite myself? If only. If only. <laughs> the traffic officers, I've used this before. They pulled me over and I said, have you ever sped before? It didn't work as well as it did with this guy. But anyway, I wished I'd bumped into him. You see, the word conscience is used 32 times in the King James translation in the New Testament. 21 of those times it's used by the Apostle Paul. I think the Apostle Paul has got great insight into conscience. So let's take a look at some of the scriptures that Paul speaks about specifically on this issue of conscience. And let's see if what he says agrees with Mahatma Gandhi, George Washington, and Frederick Lewis Donaldson. In Acts 23 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I wish I could say that. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't. Acts 24 verse 16, Paul says this, and, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Do we understand the gravity and the implication of these words? To stand before a council and tell them, listen, my conscience is sitting well with me. It is well with my soul. I've dealt well with God and I've dealt well with man. How many of us could say that about ourselves tonight? Anybody? Whew. Okay, I'm in good company. So, so what happens when we tell a lie and gossip about someone? Is there an inner voice telling you what is right and what is wrong? What about people who commit horrible crimes against humanity? We see it all the time. People blatantly just murder. I watched a thing on E! News 24 the other day. Two guys were chasing a guy. He tripped and fell in the street. They ran past him, shot him in the head, and went and did their shopping afterwards. I asked myself the question, when they put their head down on the pillow at night, does their conscience not stir within them? Does that inner voice not tell them, listen, you've got to fix it. Do they have that inner voice? We've all grown up hearing it said that we ought to let our conscience be our guide. But is that a good thing? What is our conscience and what role does it play? Is it God-given? Is our conscience always a good guide for our thoughts and for our actions? These are just some of the things I'm going to be dealing with this evening. So the question is posed, can I be a mature, can I be a mature Christian with a weak conscience? I'm not going to answer that for you. I'm going to allow you to answer that yourself as we make our way through these scriptures tonight. You see, the Bible has much to say about the subject of conscience. Although there is no word for conscience in the Old Testament... We can clearly see it illustrated time and time again. For example, in the life of Joseph's brothers. Remember Joseph's brothers? They threw, him in the, they threw him in the pit. And eventually the day came where they had to come to Egypt and beg for grain, to buy grain. And Joseph had now become the second most powerful person in the world. They didn't know it was Joseph. And so Joseph set them up for stealing. And remember, he imprisoned the brothers. Now, many years had passed since this thing had taken place, but the Bible says in Genesis 42 and verse 21, 
the brothers speaking amongst themselves in prison said, they said to each other, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us? Joseph wasn't pointing a finger. Nobody was saying anything. But it's interesting when they find themselves in a difficult spot, they thought back to the time where they most grieved man and most grieved God. They thought it was no longer an issue, but their conscience plagued them. In actual fact, they were about to find that not only was Joseph still alive, but so was their conscience. You see, the root of the Greek word translated as conscience means to be aware. Simply, that's what it means. It means to be aware when you do something wrong. When you put your head down on the pillow at night, do you reflect on your day? And does your conscience say, listen, you didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. In actual fact, I did something yesterday that the Lord reminded me of while I was preparing this message and praying this afternoon. And the Lord said, tomorrow, so tomorrow I will do that. At the time, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. You see, the Greek-speaking people in the New Testament days used the word in everyday conversation. It basically described the pain that you feel when you do wrong. You see, God as our creator has created us as moral beings. We will always be moral beings. And this is the one question that no atheist has been able to satisfactorily answer for me. Whether we came from an amoeba, an amoeba or wherever we came from, they cannot explain how morality was programmed into man. The difference between right and wrong. They can't explain where it came from. It's just one of those things that they believe we have to accept. But... God as a creator has created us as moral beings. As such, God has equipped every human being with a built-in moral conscience. We read about this in the book of Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and verse 15. Not just Christians, every human being. Look at what it says in Romans 2. And when the Gentiles, speaking about non-Jews, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts. The work of the law, the moral law of God written on their hearts. Their conscience, listen to this, also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the means, or the mean while accusing, or else excusing one another. Now, there are two schools of thought. Many believe that the conscience is the voice of the spirit. My argument is if that's the case, then the Bible wouldn't have said that the Gentiles' conscience would have borne witness with them. So you can have a conscience and yet not be saved. I personally believe that the conscience is the voice of your soul, mind, will, and emotions. Your spirit has a voice, but based upon your renewed mind, your soul also has a very, very loud voice. We'll find out about that more in a moment. So the law was given to the Jews, but the Gentiles had the work of the law written on their hearts, and the Bible says their conscience bore witnesses. You see, their conscience, our conscience, was like a judge and a jury presiding in the courtrooms of their hearts. Our conscience is the voice of God in our soul. But the problem with the voice of our conscience is that we live in a world and inhabit bodies 
that are affected by sin. Now listen to this, which can change, damage, and even corrupt our conscience and that inner voice. No one is impervious to this. And that's why it's so important that we need to remain guarded. The fact that God has given us this internal alarm clock reveals not only that we are moral agents, but also that we are accountable to a moral God. We all know that guilt is a real thing, right? Guilt is a real thing. Well, our conscience is actually connected to our sense of guilt. So when we stumble or fall and do something wrong, there's a few ways we can deal with it. Number one, we can dismiss it. Number two, we can deny it. Number three, we can distort it or try and explain it away. It's just the way culture is today. Or number four, we can deal with it. We can only deal with it if we have a conscience. In actual fact, God has designed our conscience to help us deal with sin. Everybody wants to get away from the, from the point of where they feel guilty for what they've done wrong. But guilt drives us to the cross. The cross is where the blood is at. The blood is where forgiveness is found. In actual fact, at the end of this message, you're going to see that it's the blood of Jesus that can purge and cleanse our conscience. And that's why we're going to be having communion a bit later. I don't know about you, but definitely me, I could do with a bit of purging. Can I get a witness? Anybody else has passed on? I could do with a bit of sensitizing of my conscience tonight. Anybody over here? Praise the Lord. You see, our conscience, however, is not a sufficient guide in itself. And I'll share a scripture with you a bit later. There are varying conditions of the conscience. Your conscience can be in good condition or in poor condition. In actual fact, there are seven conditions of our conscience that the Bible speaks about in the New Testament. Your conscience can be in one of seven conditions. Three of them are on the positive side. Four of them are on the dangerous to watch out, side. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's just a... So let us take a look at these seven conditions of the conscience according to Scripture. Number one, God's Word speaks about a good conscience. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. As I said, Paul was quite a specialist on this subject, and he knew it played a vital role in the life of a Christian. And because his was clear, I suppose, he could speak so and preach so much on it. But he says this. He says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So what is a good conscience? A good conscience is a healthy conscience, a conscience that is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. A good conscience is working in the way that God intended it to work. A good conscience is a conscience that pushes us towards the commands of God. It points us in the right direction. It keeps us on our course. A mother asked her young son if he knew the difference between conscious and conscience. He says, conscious is when you know you've done something wrong. Conscience is when you wish you didn't know. <laughs> so that's the first one. The second one is God's word speaks of a blameless conscience. Oh, to have a blameless conscience. It means to be without an offense. That's what it means. And the scripture is in Acts 24 and verse 16. Look at what it says. It says, and herein do I exercise myself. To have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. 
I bet you that Joseph's brothers just wish somehow they could have purged their conscience from what they had done to their brother. They thought he was dead. They had to live with that guilt the rest of their lives. Praise God, we're on the other side of the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to live that life of guilt. Can you imagine killing your brother and living with the knowledge of that every single day and not knowing how to cleanse your heart and cleanse your conscience of what you had done? Can someone say, thank God for Jesus? And that's why we're here tonight. It's the good news of the cross. The good news is that you can live with a sensitive conscience and a heart towards God that pleases Him, that your faith can be unfeigned and that your conscience can be uncorrupted because of the precious blood. Of Jesus. There is power. Power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the cross. And I don't know if you as a believer have ever been at that place where saved is what you are. You lay in your bed at night, you think, oh God, how am I living with this? And encountered that cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that washes you and cleanses you of all guilt and purges you and cleanses you. It makes no sense to your mind. But the one moment, the thing that you struggle with, that you grapple with, that you can't come to terms with, can't come to terms with, the next minute, a few minutes later, all of a sudden you're completely free and liberated. Nothing has changed except your faith in the blood of Christ, which has the power. He says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sin be as red as scarlet, I will wash it as white as snow. And we've not done a single We've not done a single thing to deserve it. Oh, God is good. Let's give him a praise. Let's worship him in this place. Thank you, Jesus. So the Bible speaks of a blameless conscience to function. The function of the conscience is really there to warn us, to indict us, to convict us. Folks, you need to understand that our conscience really is a gift from God. It's not something that we want to desensitize. It's something we want continually leading us to faith in the blood and in the cross of Jesus. We cannot allow the things of this world to taint our conscience. We must be careful where we go, who we keep our company with, and what we watch. Because the devil is very patient, and he will take his time. Listen to me. He will give you a series on television that starts really good. There is no blasphemy. There is no sex. There is nothing untoward. And all of a sudden, when he's got you hooked, listen to me. I know how the devil works, and I know how Hollywood works. And you know it too. And before you look halfway through that season, all of a sudden, a blasphemous word comes in. And the name of Jesus is used. And you think, ah, oh, but you're so hooked onto the series that you, how many people know what I'm talking about? And you know at that point when you hear it for the first time, your conscience is saying, enough, it's not worth it, I'm about to be corrupted. But you know what your desire to want to know what the end of the story sounds like drives you. How many people know what I'm talking Is there anybody that knows what I'm talking about? The devil is very clever. To live with a blameless conscience, that's the second one. The third one is that God's word speaks about a pure or a clear conscience. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve. Interesting, whom I serve. You want to underline that in your Bible. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure 
conscience. Notice how serving God can produce a purity of conscience. And how do you serve God? By serving his people. You can't sleep well at night if all you do is come and sit in church and not serve one and worship one and not participate. Your conscience won't sit well with you. You'll always feel restless. You'll think, maybe I should move. Maybe I should get another job. Maybe I should marry someone else. Oops, sorry. But you'll always be unsettled. But you know why that is? Because your conscience is not clear because you are not, according to Paul over here, serving God properly. So God's word speaks of a, of a clear conscience. A clear conscience is a wonderful thing in the day of, of accusation. It liberates us from fear and instills courage. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. It says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. It's amazing. When your conscience is not clear, you think everybody's out to get you. When you've done something wrong and your boss calls you in, you think, yesterday he saw me slip out of work yesterday. He could be wanting to give you an increase, but you think, oh God, he saw me. Somebody split on me. If I catch that dirty rat that split on me. It was Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States, who said this. He says, I desire to so conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end when I come to lay down my reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left. And that friend shall be down on the inside of me. He deemed his closest friend to be his conscience, the voice of God through his soul. The fourth one is that God's speak, well, God's word speaks of a weak conscience. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12. And by the way, I've made all these notes available online for you. You can go get the link, download it all, and make it your own study, okay? Free of charge, even for those watching Facebook or on social media. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, but, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. A man consulted a doctor. I've been misbehaving, doc, he said, and my conscience is troubling me. And you want something that will strengthen your willpower, the doctor said. No, 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 he said, you misunderstand me. I was thinking of something that would weaken my conscience. <laughs> Not strengthen my willpower, weaken my conscience. You see, a weak conscience is one that can be easily swayed and influenced by others. This type of conscience lacks knowledge. And because it doesn't know the word of God, it flip-flops either way. Weak conscience. God's word speaks then about a defiled conscience. It was Mark Twain, the poet, who said the following. He says, an uneasy conscience or a defiled conscience is like a hair in the mouth. How many of you have had a hair in the mouth? You don't want to eat, you don't want to talk. Just, uh. Mark Twain said that a, that a corrupt or a defiled conscience is like that. Oh God, protect us. Because the word defiled means to be corrupted or polluted. You see, our conscience is like a window. When it is clean, more light can enter into our hearts. And Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye is single, or if thy conscience is clear, then the whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye is evil, if your conscience is corrupted, your whole body will eventually follow suit and become full of darkness. You see, our conscience can be weakened and defiled and dimmed. How? By the sin that we tolerate 
in our lives. The sin that we tolerate. I'm going to be dealing with three things, three ways to sensitize our conscience in conclusion tonight. One of those ways is to keep short accounts of your sin before God. Not to mull over it, not to nurse it and stroke it and love on it and think, Lord, one day I'll get rid of it, but to keep short accounts. You see, when we sin, refusing to acknowledge it as such soils and defiles and corrupts our conscience. So God's word then, number six, speaks about an evil conscience. In Hebrews 10, 22, look at this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Notice the word, notice the role that the word of God plays here in helping folks that have an evil conscience. You see, an evil conscience is one that is so defiled, so corrupt that it turns values completely upside down. It confuses right with wrong. Isaiah speaks about this in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. And he says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. So people with an evil conscience have got things completely topsy-turvy. They disregard the word of God and they say, well, this is just the way it is. And they preach it with gusto. The seventh condition of our conscience the Bible speaks about is a seared conscience. We are in trouble, folks, when personal sin no longer bothers us. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When you sear your skin, it no longer has any more feeling. There is no way to bring your skin to feel anything again except to cut it with the sword of God's word. So even people that, whose conscience are seared can be rescued. You see, a seared conscience is one that is cut off. It's silenced completely. Somebody said this, the antagonism between life and conscience may be removed in only two ways, by changing life or by change of conscience. You either die or you fix your conscience. You see, every child has a duty and a responsibility to constantly shape, monitor, and maintain his or her conscience. This is our responsibility. Oswald Chambers, Chambers in his book, My Utmost for the Highest, says this. Listen very carefully. Such powerful words. He says, conscience is that ability within me that attaches itself to the highest standard I know. And then continually reminds me of what that standard demands that I do. It is the eye of the soul which looks out either toward God or toward that which we regard as the highest standard. The problem is not everybody has the word of God as their standard. They have different measures. And that's why people's consciences are in different places. As we begin to wrap up, and just before I give you three ways in which we can resensitize our conscience or renew our consciences this evening. I'm going to ask the deacons right now, please, to pass out the communion elements. If you wouldn't mind, don't be distracted. Listen to me carefully. The communion elements are going to wake the, make their way down. So, so what can we do to keep our conscience good, clean, pure, and functioning? Well, the first thing we can do 
is that we must determine to make the written word of God our constant guide and standard for living. But not just, not just mentally or in thought. Because every day you spend away from the word of God, with the world being what it is, your conscience on a daily basis, whether you know it or not, is being desensitized. If you don't come back to the word, which is your true north, you will find over a period of time that your conscience will begin to grow more dull and more weak. And I'm telling you now as a personal, as a personal testimony, I've noticed, yes, even as a pastor, when I've not diligently spent time in the Word of God on a constant basis, I've noticed how things begin to slip in my life. Can I get an amen from somebody? We know it to be true. The Word of God is the changeless standard to which we must hold our conscience. Someone said this, conscience is a trustworthy compass when God's word is your true north. You see, because our minds are like cups with a hole in it, our spirits retain the word of God, but our minds leak. And because our conscience is the voice of our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, our mind needs to continually hear the word of God so that it doesn't weaken. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, it says, my conscience is clear. But that doesn't prove that I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine and decide. Step number two, we must remain sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You see, our consciences may be defiled, but thank God the voice of the Holy Spirit never will be. It will never be defiled. Our conscience can be corrupted, but God's Spirit can never be. He remains as a holy, sinless presence and influence in our hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit helps us interpret the message that's sent by our conscience and gives us the power to act. Look at, what, look at what it says in Psalm 119. Ezra said this. He said, I thought on my ways and turned my feet. His direction was changed as a result of his meditating on the Word of God. And the third and final step, step three, we must keep short accounts of our sin with the Lord. We can cleanse our conscience. How? It's called confession and repentance. And I'm going to close with this very, very powerful scripture in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Listen very carefully. How many of you are here tonight that could say, Lord Jesus, I could do with a good desensitization of my conscience tonight? How many of you could do with a more tender conscience? Can I see your hands? Am I in good company tonight? Listen to what the Word of God says. If you found yourself slipping back and your conscience becoming less tender or in any one of those four of the seven states, listen to what Hebrews says. It says, it speaks of, of purging our conscience. How much more shall the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The fruit of a purged conscience is a man who just wants to do more for Jesus. How many of you are ready to do more for Jesus? I want you to ready yourselves as we prepare to partake of communion tonight. Father, we come before you in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus. Lord, tonight as we come before you, we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us where we fall into the snare, into the trap of the enemy who's deliberately over time wanted to desensitize us 
and allow us to tolerate sin within our own lives. Tonight, Lord, we come before you. We kneel our posture in your presence and we say, Father, forgive us. Tonight we are here for you to purge and cleanse our conscience as we partake of communion. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.